What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 90 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Sterile Brown Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I am joined, as ever, and for the first time in 2022, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis, in his brand new abode. Mate, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I thought I'd try out the possibility of actually sitting on a sofa and doing the podcast. I thought I'm going for the I'm going for the Joe Rogan vibe today. And it's like working for you. you? Know, just sort of, it's fantastic because when you when you speak, I can sit back and do and do this like a therapist. It's <laughs> absolutely absolutely marvelous. Um, no, it's it's lovely to be back once again in 2022. And amidst all the change, one thing is consistent, and that is me and you chatting enormous amounts of waffle about the best and worst in alternative music, and that's not going to change. If you have wondered why we haven't uh, come back earlier this year than usual, uh, we would normally come back at the start of the year. However, Sam, as we can see, and I've meant alluded to, uh, is in a new house. I didn't want to put the pressure on you, Sam, of recording a podcast in the midst of moving. I think it might have seen you off, mate, to be honest. The amount of stuff that you had to juggle. If I'd have been like, here's two albums I need you to listen to. Oh, and an interview that we're doing as well as the 50 other things you have to do right now. It's probably one of the nicest and the only nice thing I've ever done in our best friendship for you. Yeah, it's um, it's the, the text message chain that led to that conversation, um, that led to that decision. It's going on my fridge. Actually, I want to look at it fondly. Every every few days or so, it's a great remember, piece of remember, fortune. Remember, yeah, remember that. Remember the kindness you offered me when in in three months' time you're saying you need to listen to this German industrial <laughs> band by next Wednesday, and we're also interviewing <laughs> the timpani player on this Finnish jazz metal group. And I'm like, great, fantastic. This is going to be wonderful. We should mention, and as you can see by the title of this episode, we have interviewed Will Putney. Uh, that that interview took place about a week or so ago. Very, very excited to, for you guys to hear that. Uh, Will Putney, how many times have me and you spoke about the brilliance of Will Putney, his importance in alternative music, in the alternative music zeitgeist at the moment. So as you can see from that title, uh, we will be interviewing Will Putney on this episode. We will also have uh, reviews on new Venom Prison record and new record and our self-titled a debut record from Abhoria. We're going to talk about when we were young fest and we're going to talk about the very, very awfully sad news that every time I die's demise, before we do that, um, we are, of course, the Noise Podcast. Uh, we post every other Tuesday. You can catch us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you listen to or watch podcasts, me and Sam will be there. The best way to support us is by subscribing or liking slash following, depending on whichever podcast service you use. You can also follow me and Sam on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Both me and Sam run that account. There's no reason for us to hang on, Sam. I, I want to get things going right away. 2022, and, and, and here we go. Uh, when We Were Young Festival is taking place in October 22nd and 23rd in Las Vegas. Now, usually, unless it's download, we don't really talk about festival announcements. But this one kind of took social media by storm because of its lineup. And how could we not discuss it? So, uh, I'm not going to discuss every single band that's on the, on the bill because I'm going to be honest, we, that would be the entire podcast. What I will do is just pick out some of the highlights. So My Chemical Romance, Paramore, Bring Me the Horizon, A Day to Remember, Avril Lavigne, Taking Back Sunday, The Story So Far, Mayday Parade, uh, looking here, and basically it's like a who's who of just <laughs> mid-2000s to mid-2010s huge bands. State Champs, Four Years Strong, and Berlin. Uh, knocked Loose, of course. How could I miss out Not Loose? Senses Fail, uh, Dance Gavin Dance, uh, Sleeping With Sirens, La Dispute. Dude, I, I Jimmy Eat World as well. Dude, I 
I don't think I've ever seen a festival lineup like this that is so so stacked for one particular drama. I know that Knocked Loose are, of course, a hardcore band in the midst of what you would perhaps call quote-unquote emo, although I'm, I'm not entirely sure I'd be happy with that kind of generalisation. Regardless, Sam, I don't think I've ever seen a festival bill so stacked for one specific genre. No, no, me neither. I think I think they certainly know their target audience, don't they? Um, like like twenties alternative rock fans with enough money to be able to go to this. Mm. Um, and from the band's perspective, um, the Vegas piece surely is one of the big elements that have pulled all these bands in. You know, um, the yeah. prospect of playing in a place like that is attractive, and clearly, it's it's a well put together festival for that particular audience that you that you're putting together um it's perhaps perhaps not the most 2021 friendly uh 2022 friendly festival bill i mean um you you were talking about it on twitter and i have to I have to agree with you when was the last good album that any of these bands have put together it's not it's not it's it's not a, it's not a, it's not really a band it's not really a bill full of recency bias at all it's it's, mm. really, it's a very nostalgic it's a very nostalgic one with really only knock loose of the bands that one of the bands that you mentioned to bring me the horizon obviously that have been really good and relevant in the last sort of 18 to 20 months or so but but for a festival lineup for what you want out of a festival um if you're of a certain disposition this is um this is a dream isn't it this is a yeah. dream i know i know i know a lot of people that would be um incredibly interested in going if if if, if maybe the practicality would, would be would be a bit of a barrier um but I mean, if you're um if you're a rock fan in 2006 and you're writing out your ideal festival lineup, you probably write this one. To be honest, now I mentioned actually on on Twitter, which you just alluded to. Basically, I I feel like 40 percent of this lineup have released a good or great album in the last five years. I did have someone respond to the tweet and say, "I don't really think that's the point." That and I do agree that it's not the point. Yeah. That this isn't about this is festival is not about re- relevancy. It's literally called when we were young. It's just it, uh, just an observation that I had made. Now it wasn't just the lineup that I wanted to talk to you about. I want to talk about the specifics of the festival. So general admission, two hundred and forty-five dollars. Right for a day, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, what is that in, in pounds? Two hundred and twenty pounds, two hundred and fifteen pounds. I'm not quite sure what the conversion rate is for dollar and pound at the minute, but let's just say two hundred and twenty pound for one day. Quite a lot of expense. Now, when you look at the size of the bill, Sam, and this is over one day, and this is where I'm starting to get concerned for the festival now because supposedly, and obviously I, we, I don't know this, but this is kind of the rumour and innuendo. <laughs> We're looking at 25 to 30 minute sets. There's going to be a multitude of stages. Obviously, it's going to be in a huge festival ground in Vegas. So if you're desperate to see, I don't know, Neck Deep, who are on one stage on, on one side of the field, and the second they finish not lose start on the other on the stage on the other side of the field not lose running going to play for 25 30 minutes you're definitely going to miss 50 percent of the set if you look at maybe even 60 70 percent so there's that that we need to think about as well as now this is the main thing that's concerning me about this festival i don't know whether this is true but it seems to be i'm not sure whether they're doing it for a joke 
but there seems to be a lot of bands or, or members that I've seen or band members that I've seen on Twitter being like, we didn't even know we were playing this until we saw our logo on the on the sheet. Yikes, that is not good, is it? Um, That's not ideal. No, it's not ideal at all. Now, also, what I think is strange is they've added a second day to the festival. Now, if they were going to add a second day to the festival, wouldn't it have made more sense to split the bill in half? And yeah, have I mean, half play one day and half play the other day. Now, obviously, I'm not. Is that what is that I'm, what's happening now, though, with the second increase of second day? Surely bands are going to be shunted over to a second day, aren't they? They haven't announced that, but it's the fest that they haven't with the extra day. They haven't said, and this means that Bring Me the Horizon and Avril Lavigne headline the Sunday, and a day to remember uh, My Chemical Romance and Paramore headline the has, Saturday. That's the old. That's the only way this can work, though. That has to be the case. I don't think that's the well, way they're the, going to the do it. Well, the, what's the second day for then? Well, is 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 a festival, and then I stand around a bit on an empty field. Like, there's got to be stuff going on. There's got to be bands. There has to be. Well, it's it's sold out both days, so my assumption is that tickets, abs- which are you know, and I would expect the tickets to fly out day what where the second they go on sale, literally just burn away in seconds. So they thought, right, well, we'll put a second day on if you couldn't quite get to the first. I think that's their plan here. But I'm going to be honest, Sam, now, God, it kind of seems I'm just I'm just like the bitter guy who's trying to be edgy on the internet. I'm going to make a bold, I'm going to make a claim, though, dude. I think this festival is going to be a disaster. I think I don't think this is good. Something's going to not work about this. I, th- I feel like October 22nd and October 23rd on social media, alternative music social media is just going to be rife with this was poorly planned this didn't work this band didn't show up for the set this didn't work i i can't see how this goes off without 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 issues now it's being done by live nation who if if someone's going to run a festival you would want live nation behind it so in terms of the organizers they probably couldn't have gone for a better organizational team than live nation but even with that said, Sam, this I don't see how this works without a hitch going up. I hope it does. It, it, you know, if I could, I would absolutely be going to this festival. If I could, if I lived in Vegas or I lived near Vegas, or I had the opportunity to go. <laughs> if I <laughs> if I had the opportunity to go, I would go, and I hope that it goes off without a hitch. But Sam, let, let's call it what it is. This festival's not going to go off problem free, is it? I think I think your your assessment that they've hired Live Nation to help organise it is is fair. However, I would add that the biggest issue I see is, is not it's not the fact that Live Nation involves that the Live Nation are going to have to deal with people who run Vegas, and I don't think people who run Vegas have got a great deal of expertise in running a festival. Mm. Um, that that's the that's the problem. I, I think I think that Las Vegas has never had music festivals. Las Vegas does fights. Mm. And, and 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 that type and, and that type of stuff. They've only recently had an NFL team. They don't they don't really dip. They haven't really dipped their toe in in this kind of stuff really ever. So it's not just um, not just not just Live Nation. You're also dealing with people who you know people that own the people that own the land and people that that are having to sort of figure this out and liaise with are probably not very particularly experienced, which is why it appears that the person who's booked it has just listed every single band in a certain genre and just crammed them all in. Um, I think the idea that it's such, such such an expense as well, probably hinting at that 
that the amount of the amount of money that's being needs to be recouped here mm. um is absolutely absolutely monstrous I, I think there's going to be some practicality issues unless this is this bill is stretched over two days if they've added an extra day and they're just hoping to do that twice where the bands play twice and 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 that's it that 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 seems utterly utterly bonkers to me um I don't I agree with you I don't see this going perfectly um because really there's there's not a long history of 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 a region like Vegas having this type of festival really at all for the first time without it uh, um and the idea of that going off without a hitch bearing that in mind seems 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 pretty minimal um pretty pretty minimal to me especially as well that the idea that the bands weren't even <laughs> band members weren't even aware that they were playing kind of already highlights a lack of communication um that's clearly going to be a problem um and you're talking about like getting across from one side of the stage to the other to, to hear lot loose lot, lot, not loose and things like that that is going to be chaotic at band yeah. change over time that is going to be utterly chaotic if it's not if it's not managed properly and the, the problem is as well is that there's no because of the lack of diversity you're not splitting the crowd up Mm. Um, there's not a third. There's not a third of the crowd. Like you sort of download, for example, a third of the crowd is is, is watching an extreme metal act, in in a couple of the tents. There's a second stage and things like that, and it splits it up. If if you've got to have eighty to ninety thousand people that are essentially all going to be on the same stage at all times and then moving all at once to another part of the festival, that that human that human traffic is absolutely monstrous to try and manage and organise. Um, and when's when's this when it, when is this supposed to be taken in terms of the month? Because Vegas is hot as well. Power Oh, that's good. That's good. At least it's not a summer festival then, because mm. like if this is in July, people will be passing out and stuff. Yeah. Um. So that's it's good. Good news in October. But yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see how this unfolds. I just. I want it to go off without a hitch. I just cannot see this going well. There was a, do you remember that when I mentioned to you Alt London Festival, architects were playing yeah. in, in, in the midst of like uh, rappers and that kind of thing, trying to bring yeah. together the concept of hip hop and grime together in a festival with alternative music. A cool idea. Supposedly the running of the festival and how it ran on the day was just a mess, just a disaster. Just just didn't work whatsoever. And I, I really fear that's what's gonna that's what's gonna reveal itself again here. And like I say, the, the, the thing that concerns me the most, and I can't say that I, I know it for a fact, but or because some of the band members might just be doing it for a joke, but I have seen a few people mention on Twitter and a couple of people retweet a band member being like, just saw her name on the, on the flyer. Guess we're playing, which is, a con- if they are being serious, that is a concern. It, it, it's almost like impossible to believe, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like the idea that so they didn't like know, which makes like them think a, they might be joking, but it's, yeah, I, I guess it's not like they're playing like a tiny venue as well. Like if you're playing like a thousand cap venue down the road or something like it's a festival in Vegas is going to take some, organization and stuff i mean think of the equipment alone and all that yeah. sort of stuff oh, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be it's gonna be massive for this for this festival yeah let's talk about some awful news sam um rip every time i die uh within yeah. the last uh, week or so every time i die by the time this fest, this podcast released every time i die have disbanded reason being um well this is the thing, right? So 
it's it's impossible for us to know or comment on the reason why they've actually disbanded because there's so much that we won't be aware of. But it appears that from what we can see, I'm not I'm not going to go into all the statements that have been released because there's been a lot of them. But it appears that Keith Buckley, uh, vocalist of Every Time I Die, has been quite important in the demise of Every Time I Die, basically stating that he didn't really want to be in the band anymore and he's lost trust in the members. Now, if you go on social media, you can see you can see Keith's statement. He actually posted a picture of something of a cease and desist uh, that, that appeared to get sent to him. Steve Machici, the, the bassist, he has put up this long, long post about uh, how Keith's story is not correct for X, Y, Z reasons. It's got really messy. It's turned into a mudslinging match. I don't like that aspect, that aspect of it, Sam. Just, a, just a, a quick thing that I want to ask you here, though. If Metallica broke up in 2003 and social media existed, can you imagine Lars Ulrich? <laughs> On Twitter in 2003, if Metallica broke up, Lars Ulrich well, would do exactly this. Wouldn't I can just imagine Lars Ulrich going to Twitter and just going absolutely ape on, on James Hetfield. Yeah, I mean, well, when Metallica sued Napster in 2001, um, there were like there was like Reddit forums and threads taking the mick out of Metallica and stuff. There was um, there was a there was the equivalent of a social media fury at the time. There was like par- parodical cartoons made about them. There was like rumours spread that Metallica was suing other bands for using the E chord and all this all, all this sort of stuff, you know, like that type of stuff. Um so yeah, it it the the so the social media theory would have been insane. Um this is this is really sad. Do we know this too really much? Sad. Do music fans get told too much? Um yes and no. Does it break the illusion because yeah, it does. Yeah. I, when I saw Every Time I Die at 2000 years, I spoke about it at length several hundreds of thousands of times on this podcast. That felt so special to me because it it was it was the best festival set I've ever seen, and there looked there was a there was a unity you could see on stage that looked almost unbreakable. Now I find out that the band members have basically admitted that oh, we should have broke up in 2014. Really, I oh, didn't need to know that. Do you know what I mean? It really breaks the illusion. This is why I'm asking you, do we know too much? I think we get told too much. I, I, I like the illusion. You can still have, you can still have the illusion. It doesn't make them any less of a, less of a good band. I think this, this, this type, this type, this type of stuff is, is, is an inevitable part of, of music. It is an inevitable part of the creative process is the inevitable is the, is the fallout um from from any type of music from the Beatles downwards there's there's always been there's always been a demise um and a, and a fallout and, and and creative differences and personal problems and and, and drugs and all, all the rest of it that comes into play um and the illusion can still exist from every time I die because in 10 years no one will talk about how they split up people will mm-hmm. just talk about the band the illusion returns because it is powered by like nostalgia and, and things like that. Like, like look at look at Pantera, look at Pantera. So like they they broke they broke up and they spent the last five years of Dimebag Daryl's life like in a in a in a pissing contest with each other and 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 Phil Anselmo was giving horrible interviews to Metal Hammer and 
they were they were talking about you know each other quite nastily and and, th- and things like that. The, the the Beatles did the same. You know, John Lennon was giving interviews about McCartney and vice versa, where they weren't weren't particularly kind to each other and and talking about the talking about the band in in, in sort of open detail. Um, I think. I think it's nice that I think it's nice to have the illusion, I guess. But what it does is it becomes a comfort blanket for for music fans and things like that who want to want their bands to be these immortal gods that are like um, completely completely immune to weakness and vulnerability and, and creative differences. I actually like I actually like the 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 other side of it. Sometimes I quite enjoy that that creative geniuses have that bitterness and pettiness. I told you that story a few weeks ago about Beethoven mm. um, writing Fur Release, the second half of Fur Release, he deliberately wrote it complex because he'd, he'd fallen out with his piano students and all that sort of stuff, so she couldn't play it. Um, I love stuff like that, but yes, it would it would be nice if, if, if every time I died were together, let's start there, and then and, and, and then also they were getting along. Um, and and this this happening has has obviously tainted a lot of what they were, especially over especially over in recent years. But it doesn't take away the important thing, which how brilliant the music is, and also, oftentimes, um, bitterness and poor relationships um, actually lead to incredible music, mm. um, like divorce and suffering have, 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 have led to some of the great albums of our time. Um, I mean, you use the Metallica e- example. I mean, how, how, how well did they get along with each other at any point? Yeah. Like when they were writing and Justice for All and, and, and falling out with each other during the Black Album process, it didn't didn't change anything and in terms of the music. It probably probably fueled that fire for them, and, and I think that's probably what happened here, where a lot of the anger um, inwards in the band probably turned outwards to the music for our benefit. Um, do we get do we get told too much? Is an interesting question because. You can, you can, you can opt in or opt out of that type of stuff if you don't want to, if you don't want to hear it, and you can maintain your illusion if you'd like to. Um, but I like that the information is there, and you can choose your own path with artists. You can choose your own relationships with them. Let's not fixate on the concept of them not being around. Let's actually celebrate how amazing of a band they were. I mean, I, I've said that. There are if there are two bands that are, that I consider being the best band of the 21st century, every time I die would be one of them, and the other one would be Mastodon. Just yeah. in terms of consistency of quality releases, every time I die have released nine, eight, eight, eight ten plus albums. It's a absolutely absurd, absurd achievement. I think that they're the best hardcore band of their generation. They're an inspiration to many. They will be incredibly sorely missed. If I put a gun to your head, are we talk? Are, are we going to see a reunion show before twenty twenty five? No, that's too soon. That's too soon. Um, you think, you think, we, you think we might be looking five plus years? Yeah, I, oh, they're, they're suing each other. You know, um, they're family as well, aren't they? Jordan and, and Jordan and Keith are brothers. Yeah. So, I think I think inevitably they 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 try and patch things up, um, but this is bitter. This is deeply rooted. the The stuff that we read a couple of months ago about um, Jordan being spoken about as being replaced by his brother 
in the band and he overheard that conversation that's 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 not that's not petty that's something worthy of holding a grudge i mean like imagine 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 me finding out that you were talking to somebody else about replacing me on the podcast and then what we're just expected to be mates afterwards yeah like do you know what i mean like it, it, it how, how would you how would you not think about it please don't do that by the way no of um, course absolutely no intention um just just for fairness and uh transparency and balance jordan buckley has denied that he had a conversation where he was talking about replacing keith as vocalist keith says yes he did have that conversation so who do you believe and that's that's the problem really that's why i haven't gone into the specifics of why they're broken up because i don't think anyone knows why they're broken up really apart from themselves I don't think there's any one reason. That's the thing. Mm, there's I think probably that as well. There's a myriad of things, isn't there? I mean, if you if they think they should have broken up in 2014 to stop the bleeding, then imagine what the next seven years would have been like. A, kind of like a failed marriage um, or a failing marriage sort of being held together by essentially the success of the music and the adoration of the fans. Yeah. And then you sort of, then you've got to like sit on a tour bus with these people, like, you know, 200 days a year. And they toured a lot. Yeah. Um, um, and they went all over the place. That's got to suck. Um, so it's astonishing that it got this far. I think they will. I think they will get back together because bands do. Bands always do. Um, and they've had too much success not to be tempted by the prospect of a return. Or time heals all wounds and all the rest of it. Uh, but not soon. Not soon, not not when they're sending cease and desist letters to each other and communicating through management and all, and all, all this sort all this sort of stuff. That that that's that's gonna take that's gonna take some time to muddle out. And as well, um I was talking to I was talking to to Jack, owner extraordinaire, etc. 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 about this. And he said, What's stopping Keith um Keith, who wrote pretty much all the lyrics and contributed to most of the songs, just having a side project and calling it something like every time I died and just just doing it himself because uh, look if he, if he comes out if he comes out as Keith Buckley and plays every time I die stuff with session musicians what's stopping him from doing that what's stopping the band from trying to replace Keith with another vocalist and trying to do it themselves we could end up in like a sepultura position mm, where absolutely. like there's like you know what I mean where they end up just like replacing every member until it actually looks nothing like the original band or, or there could be a myriad of things that are still yet to happen I don't think it's the last we hear of this. I don't think it's going to be like dead and buried and we never hear about them ever again. I just think that doesn't happen. Like, look at look at System of a Down. We thought that was done. Mm. Um, and then they, they just turn up, write a few songs and then disappear again. And then there's rumours that rumours are bound and bands fall out with each other all the time. And then, you know, agents start talking and money starts getting thrown around and it becomes difficult to avoid. So I think I think there's a there's a future there's a positive future, but it's going to take some time. I don't think it happens this decade. That's my call. Interesting. Final thing I want to add. One thing I didn't like was Keith is doing an audience with tour in February. Oh no! And he's doing it with uh, a journalist called Matt Stocks, great music journalist. He's got a podcast called Stokeify with Jesse Leach, fantastic. Life in the Stocks is also a great podcast. You know, Matt Stocks, I do very much respect him. But the sec within a day of it being announced, every time I die, broken up, the it then became the narrative became, hey, guess what? Um, if you want to get the lowdown on the situation, come to an audience with Keith Buckley. 
Now, I, I, I didn't like that narrative. The idea is that how it's been. Is that how it's been advertised? That was how Matt kind of there's a hey, if you want to get the full lowdown on the every time I die break up, make sure you get a ticket for the audience with Keith Buckley tour. Not a fan of that personally. Um, it, I just think that's I think that's bad taste. Uh, it, it is quite a sour it, taste it in your mouth. It, it is, but it's, it's thoroughly unsurprising, isn't it? I mean, what's he what's he gonna what's he gonna what's he gonna do? They're not gonna talk about it. Um, was he ask his favorite color? Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's, he's a quarter. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's it, it is what it is in that sense. Since that is that that's the nature. It's the nature of the game. Um, I I agree that it's it's crass and it, it is tasteless. Um, but do you know that that is that is the nature of show business, isn't it? Which I guess this is this is a, a, an arm of, um, and 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 metal musicians are no and no and no strange to the dramatics either. Um, so it's 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 rough. It's rough. I I would I'm very interested to hear um, what the band collectively do after Keith. There's nothing stopping them continuing mm. um, in some form. There's going to be some there's going to be some legal um, arguments about naming rights and things like that because that would have been hashed out in a contract when they when they're signed and stuff. And um, so here we are. I mean. I just think it'll take ages, but I think they'll ever to be back together in sort of a decade or two. If Guns N' Roses can patch things up, I think these can. Absolutely. Uh, but more importantly than anything else, the the greatest hardcore band of the generation, uh, their best, the, for, for my money, tied with Mastodon, the best band of the 21st century in terms of quality and consistency of output, they will be incredibly, incredibly missed. One of the great bands. We we got on the bus late, but at least we got on there before the bus was stopped. Well, the band, they'll be incredibly sorely missed. I, I, What's stopping them being called the greatest hardcore band ever? Who was the competition? I don't know. They're, I mean, that's probably the, the kind of, of claim that I could make off the cuff, but be worried that I'm, I'm really not thinking about someone or, or forgetting someone or perhaps I haven't got like the knowledge of like eighties hardcore, like in the New York scene to perhaps make such a claim, but they're definitely the hardcore band of the generation. And I, I would be happy to make that claim. Um, you know, maybe a band like black flag or anti-flag would have like a say in terms of like their, their importance. Um, but, in terms of this generation, no one touches every time I die. Um, I'm just just desperately and upset that they are that they're not together anymore. Especially, obviously, no, obviously that the you know would they have played in six days anyway? Because I had tickets to see them with the current situation, the pandemic, etc. It might not have gone ahead of, ahead regardless, but I was meant to be seeing them in six days. And um, man, it just such a bitter blow, such a blow. Going to my head. I think they're playing a hometown show in Buffalo before 2026. Gun to my head. That is just complete conjecture. Though. Obviously, I've got no basis for that opinion. That's just me making a prediction. Uh, there's, a, there's a hometown uh, comeback show in Buffalo, New York, before 2026. It sells out in five minutes. There's tears. There's stage diving. There's <laughs> there's fights in the crowd. And it's like one of the... Cra- Hate Five Six is there to video the whole thing. And it's one of the coolest things that ever happened in, in hardcore music. We'll see. We'll see. I think I'll take longer than that. Let's move on to our first album review of the year, Sam. We are going to start with 
dystopian black metal three-piece Ab Horia. Uh, their self-titled debut record is out on February 4th via Prosthetic Records. Uh, they are compiled with members from Ashen Horde, Catheter and Vimana. So something of a side project here. Sam, I kind of picked this record because uh, we were doing Venom Prison and I had a look through what else was coming out around the same time as Venom Prison and really you know not a, not a stacked release schedule really around the around the early february so i thought you know what dude we, we don't talk about black metal enough we don't cover enough black metal so i wanted to chuck this in there now i don't want to do your review for you but i'm just curious if i give you what i think your summary is going to be you can tell me how close out of 10 i was so i think your summary of this record would be it shows off the great things that black metal can be while also showing some of the limitations of black metal and some of the reasons why me and you aren't black metal aficionados or obsessives. How close was I? Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would agree with that. We give you a solid eight. Um, I think it, I think it shows some of the things that, that, that black metal is, is, is good and successful for, but I also think that it, it, it also leaves a bit to desired in its own genre as well as per, perhaps showing why me and you aren't massively into this particular genre. Um, it's It has its moments of intensity and harshness and dissonance and things like that. Um, there are some really, really enjoyable moments here, like sort of like, I like, I like Mount Banks and frantic riffs and, and things like that. And, um, Byzantine Promises was was a little bit was was a little bit enjoyable. I felt like a real thrash tune with a nice follow melody. But for the for the most part, um, you have to you have to like the blueprint to enjoy this as a whole because mm. it doesn't really deviate from it once it's established. And for me, I think good black metal albums um, expand upon um, the the initial blueprint and they go into the. I I like I like my black metal um, a little bit atmospheric. I like black metal with a bit of piano. I like my black metal with a bit of uh, theatricality um, to break it up. I like the Clyde the Filth black metal much more than I like um, this kind of black metal specifically. Um, because I think if you're not a massive, massive aficionado of the type of black metal that's going on here with the blast beats and the, the slicing riffs and things like that, it does wear out its welcome fairly quickly. It's it's If you enjoy this, then it's great because the consistency is terrific. Um, but if you're not if you're not massively into the style that this is, then you, you are going to be you are going to be put off fairly quickly. I, I think. I think there's some there's some moments of real intensity and really, really enjoyable um, that are really quite enjoyable. But for the most for the most part for the most part, it's it's too it's consistent at times to the point of of, of tedium uh, at, at points near the end of this um, because there is a, a quite clear very followable guitar line that really runs through the entirety of the album. Um, the drum patterns are almost identical from song to song. Some of the lyrical patterns are almost identical from song, song to song to the point where um, any deviation from that is kind of feels like a real breath of fresh air when I think that could have had the opportunity to feel like it's a bit more creative. But if it's a side project, then maybe it should be treated as such as like an opportunity for them to stretch the, the, these members to stretch their wings into a different, into a different genre feel it out, knock some stuff together, and maybe we shouldn't be looking at it with the magnifying glass that we often do. Um, 
but I felt this left a lot on the kitchen table from from a, from its own genre standpoint, as well as perhaps confirming that really blackmail has its own limitations in terms of engendering new and curious audiences too. I feel like Sunless, the closing song, is one of the few songs that is genuinely unlike anything else on the record and and has and does purposefully differentiate itself now the problem is it comes last the problem is it comes last and that's and and for me i i enjoy this i enjoyed this album i think this is really really solid black metal record but by the time you get to the third track the thorn i genuinely think you could play the opening from Mountbank, the song that predecesses the thorn, then play the opening from the thorn, and you could possibly be convinced they're the same song in terms of the opening. They do break off into it, they do break off in different ways through the by the time they get to the middle eight, etc. But in terms of the opening, I think you could possibly be convinced that they're both the same song. And for someone who and if someone's listening to this record and they're not huge on black metal, that is going to be immediately tiresome. What I would say, uh, you mentioned Bars and Time Promises. I think Bars and Time Promises is paying for being the best track on the record. I do kind of like the cool chant of join us to open it. Uh, there's a like, really cool galloping riff on the verse. Uh, they do a slow down into almost like a sludge metal song, which I really enjoyed as well. And then it brings in like a quite a, a necessary shift to the proceedings. Uh, and then that final verse, when the pace returns, the intensity increases again really really you know hits like a truck i really really enjoy bars and time promises and actually sunless is a great the song closing sunless seven minutes really different to anything else on the record a more labored and poised vocal sound from wealthrax i believe his name is and um, his vocals are much more spaced and there's a flitter of clean and spacious vocals as well uh which which really works and there's a great build to a gorgeous solo there's lots of really cool black metal moments on this album that you could pick out and, and just really obsess over like it's you know just hand headbangers factory really moments of this record but <laughs> there, there are moments where I, I was listening to parts of like hollow i listened to hollow which is the song that comes before sunless and i thought do you ever need to listen to this song like it, it, it doesn't really separate itself from the record in any way shape or form um but i, I don't want to make that sound like too much of a criticism because it's a it's a dystopian black metal record that fully throws itself in on that concept and stays there successfully and i think that if you stopped a black metal fan on the street and passed them this record i think they'd get a huge amount from it because so I, I do believe this is a really good solid black metal record that I, I did enjoy listening to but when by the time the thorn comes in it is quite apparent that there's a blueprint here that is marginally going to be stepped away from, and that can be quite a, a damning realization nine minutes into an album. Yeah, I think I felt that I remember listening to, to the, the first the first track, um, uh, Full Side or Classic Black Metal Melody, and I was thinking, all right, okay, it doesn't really quite get out of third gear, it's a touch repetitive. That was track one, um, and I by by sort of track three or four in the night in the nicest possible way the the, the thoughts that were having with were the same sort of main bank was like, oh great so up tempo frantic riffs and then it sort of it switches back to the similar sort of of similar sort of blueprint once again um i enjoyed i enjoyed the head bobbing verse on like grave expectations first really section that really grabbed me 
Um, and the, there's a melody at the end with it, with the guitar solo, with a really, really echoey sound. That was lovely. Um, and that's the thing he departed away from. I don't, I don't want black metal bands to abandon blast beats and 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 chugged riffs with thirty second notes. But I'd prefer that if it was juxtaposed with some other stuff because it loses its impact as a pace changer. Um, you can't, you can't have the whole thing at the same tempo because it does, it does feel overly repetitive. Hell, even Slayer slow down. Like yeah. once, a, once, a, once in a while, you need, you need, you need to take away. Um, it's like you need to, to, to be able to go back to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's supposed to emphasize it in its absence and it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that enough for me. Um, it, clearly some talented musicians here. Um, and there's a type of music that they're trying to create and they've, 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 they've done that. They've, they've, they've hit certain black metal blueprints, white to the T. I would just prefer, um, I'd prefer it to be a little bit wider, to cast its net a little bit wider musically. Um, to appeal to a listener like me. But that being said, it is also fair to say that I'm probably not the target audience in the listenership in terms of like a black metal aficionado. I know that you're a little bit more inclined to black metal than I am, but even so, um, for neither one of us would consider themselves like massive black metal fans. No, no. Um, it, it, like black metal has to be pretty special to, to, to sort of, to sort of what I mean. So I will say that that's, that's a pinch of salt with, with any of the criticism that I'm offering here. Um, but I'd be, I'd be hard pushed to believe anybody saying that this would be like varied and, and really complex and layered and stuff like that, because I'd be like, are you sure? Is it, uh, I'd find that, I'd find that hard to, I'd find that hard to swallow because the album that I listened to did feel incredibly similar. Now, if you like that particular style, you like that particular sound, great. You're going to have a while of a time because there's, you know, there's 10 tracks of it. Um, but for me, for me, not so much. Let's move on to Venom Prism. Their new record, Erebos, is out on February 4th via Century Media Records. It's the band's third full-length album and the follow-up to 2019, Samsara. Samsara was an album that me and you, Sam, reviewed uh, on a long, long, long time ago episode of the Noise podcast. Now, me and you saw Venom Prism. We saw them opening for Trivium back in 2018. What a wonderful time that was because Peritrip and Code Orange also played that show. That was a fantastic time in our friendship, Sam. Yes, yes, it was. We said, was. these have got great potential. These could do something really great in death metal. Then we heard Samsara and we repeated that notion that these have got great potential and they could do something really great in death metal. Not this yet. This isn't great. This is a very solid, good death metal record. But I, I, we believe we basically said their best record is 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 coming, and when that hits, it would be, or we have a sense it's going to be a special moment for them. Uh, Sam Erebos potential fulfilled. I feel like it's potential fulfilled. Yeah, this feels like a really good record, um, and it feels like um, that they've actually followed the 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 Chris and Sam requests in terms of stretching out a little bit and yep. what else can you do? Yeah. I remember, I remember that I remember the review of, um, of the Venom prison album. I remember describing one of the introductions, like the drum kit had fallen down the stairs. If you remember, um, because of the, the clashing of the symbols and the snares and so of, sort of stuff. It was at times difficult to make out because of how complex and brutal it was. Mm. Um, which is now criticism. Obviously I love that type of thing, but this feels so much more a polished and professional record for yeah. Venom Prison. It feels like a massive, 
and mature step forward for the band. And by the way, mature isn't music journalist speak for softer because this is real, really, really heavy. Yeah. This... Um, um, there are there are moments where they they they've diverted, and included different sounds, different ideas. Um, I don't know where to start, but I, I want to start with something. Um, <sighs> there's there's like major keys in here, like like there's there's like pleasant melodies in this album. There is, there like are was, very pleasant melodies in this album, and, and I, I was I was like listening to this. I was like, is that a major? Is that a major key here? Like, what is going on? Um, this this album is 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 really 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 tremendous. Um, has like a grandiose, epic, shadow of intense style opening, yeah. which I'm I'm a massive uh, massive fan of. Um, it's got man, some of the some of the riffs here and some of the transitions. Beautiful. Um, just just absolutely fantastic transitions straight into great breakdowns here. There's some dissonant guitars and massive massive choruses. Um, there are moments actually where this feels like a classic death metal album. Um, this felt like uh, I was getting sort of carcass and death and at the gates feelings throughout this, which I am I am all over. Um, but yeah, in 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 summation, and we'll dive into it in, in in some some detail a little bit later, sort of on a track track to track key track basis type of thing. But absolutely per, per, potential fulfilled. Um, it feels like uh, Venom Prison have have have. Have matured and grown up and polished and 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 sort of reached and evolved into a into a different stage of their career and one that I do believe that is massively going to benefit them in the next couple of years. Yeah, this is a great great record. I love this. This is a great death metal record. This is for me potential fulfilled. This is what when we saw them open for Trivium, what we said we believed they would end up doing has been done. I feel like this is a record they can walk away from and feel just just shimmering pride because the stretch that they've made in terms of songwriting is is really almost astonishing like if you take um i'm going to i'm going to try and pronounce this right pain of oh oasis oasis yeah i think it's oh yeah i think it's oasis oasis yeah. i'm going to assume oasis oasis maybe like ozymandias but no oasis mm. i think Let's go always this. Uh, it is nice. a single. It is a single. So most people would probably, if you've got an interest in Venom Prison, you might you might have already heard it by now. But then when you listen to it within the context of the album, it sounds even better because it's got this kind of trance to leering backdrop to Lewis's vocals. It's brilliant. And, you know, we're hitting early days of the year, obviously, but of the six or seven records I've heard so far in 2022, Pain of Oasis is the best song that I've heard so far. Uh, the pace change-ups when Larissa starts screaming behind the snare drum, brilliant. The kind of solemn guitar lines that fleet in between are beautiful. All builds this kind of soliloquy of fury by Larissa, which is delivered with so much minus, you know, excuse the pun, venom. Uh, it's just, hey. just incredibly, incredibly capturing. I loved Nemesis. The pick scrapes that open it are just are just horrendous, horrendous to listen to, but it's so cool. <laughs> the Larissa's delivery of the opening verse is stunning. She's got a brutality in her delivery that is is matched only by her exquisite precision of flowing through the lyrics. Um, thankfully, this was sent with a lyric sheet. And as you read through, while she kind of bursts through the themes... It really is. Her flow is just tremendous. Uh, her lyrics are incredibly capturing, intelligently written. 
and it, on Nemesis, there's this moment where it kind of flirts with an instrumental in the middle eight, but then it quickly snaps back into this harsh verse, coolest thing in the world. I love Comfort of Complicity. Uh, it's got kind of a, more of a clean or layered riff that's the that's the real backbone of Comfort and Complicity, which I wasn't expecting. Um, it's it's evident that they've that they've pushed themselves. There's a kind of biotis murder feel to the lyric. There's a war across the border. It works really well. Uh, an amazing change of tonality in the song's crescendo. It morphs from an extreme metal batter into a more terror metal anthem. Really incredible stuff, man. And then you've got <laughs> then you've got Gorgon Sisters, which is, I mean, this lyric: the misogynistic cogs are turning, grinding the uterus. Larissa's lyrics oh, are just, what an image are just so scarring yet really intelligent she literally never misses uh, the guitar riff with a pinch harmonic on the chorus just sounds bass like the build to and then the following breakdown is gross horrible brilliant um, and this record is really really intelligent at picking when to include a real beat down moment because there's there's not a grand amount of them the 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 album is heavy as hell the take please don't misinterpret what i'm saying what i'm saying it's not breakdown overload they do really pick and choose the moments to put them in and they always hit that they, they choose the right moments every single time i think this record's really great sam i, I really like this yeah, there's um there's a real technicality and a real complexity in the songwriting that was always present but feels much cleaner, much clearer and cleaner um from a day from a day-to-day basis. It feels like a track-to-track basis, just absolutely phenomenal so far. Um, but what's taking place really, if you listen to the the first main song, Judges of the Underworld, um, it's heavy metal sludging opening, it's groovy and grinding, transition straight into an incredible breakdown. Um, and from there, already the band are doing so much on on that opening on that opening track, Judges of the Underworld. I'm like, what? Like it just keeps slipping from from genre to genre, to style to style. The tempo shifted breakdown, the clues is absolutely fantastic. I really love Nemesis. The sliding echoed lead riff in the opening of that was fantastic. The the clean transition into the snare roll tempo shift was really enjoyable. It's really layered and complex structures. Um, there's just comfort and complicity is fantastic. That feels like that's the one that felt like an at the gates of carcass song. Love the melodic slow section. It's almost power metal reminiscent. And that's the thing that ends on this sort of major key. That was a, there's that bit. And then, and then that you talked about born of Oasis, maybe is that is how you pronounce it perhaps. And the ending section of that, where there's a concluding melodic section, I haven't heard a band do something like that since between the buried and me um, in terms of that concluding melody running guitar, um and then and then they're just happy to remind you as well the golden apples of the hesperides i think is that hesperides um is just classic venom prison flash yeah. blast beats nasty breakdown never settles the riffs are like twitching and snarling throughout terrific sweeping solo slayer vibes at the end and it's just um another reminder that they can be one of the better extreme metal acts as well as really stretching their wings and 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 go into this at times progressive style. It's um what this is is an incredibly impressive record. This is a very accomplished album, um and and really shows off the depth of musicianship that they have in their arsenal. Um, I didn't actually expect to enjoy this Venom Prison record as much as I did. Um, 
because I respected them greatly, but they weren't really always always in my in in, in my favourites list really. But listen to the drums on the opening of Veil of Night. Oh my god, um, that just absolutely absolutely incredible. Um, I enjoyed the, the mid tempo vibe halfway through. It sounded a bit like in Flames at times, which I really really enjoyed. Um, thoroughly thoroughly in on this album. Thoroughly in on this band. I love this Venom Prison because they are they're not a band with potential now they are one of the great extreme metal bands in Britain amazing what else do we want I, I think this record's going to do great things for them I really think this would be big for them I agree I, I, I agree I think it, I think it pushes them into um, a wider audience as well but also love it when bands are able to actually stretch the wings without losing any of their um, grind and heaviness because I absolutely don't think they've done that as as well, I think they've, they've done a fantastic job of of of, of growing, but also sustaining um, one foot in consistency, another foot in growth, um, and I think that's that's a really really great thing for them. Um, also, these are these are phenomenal phenomenal musicians, yeah, absolutely phenomenal musicians. Um, like listen to the spiraling riff at the start of Castigated in Steel and Concrete. He's just utterly <laughs> utterly phenomenal. Um, and there are loads and loads of moments on that album that, that that are like, oh my god, these are just incredible musicians. From the dive bombs to the drum fills to the the changes in tempo, the degree of difficulty once again is absolutely off the charts, and it, it is both brilliant and brutal and 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 complex and 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 and, and clear and, and and just really 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 nicely mixed and polished to put together and and just everything about it. It's, it's a terrific record. Really great start to the year. Huge win for extreme metal in Britain. Huge win for extreme Abs- metal. Full absolutely. stop. Because this absolutely. this is going to travel. This won't stick. This won't just be a big record in Britain. This will travel. This will. This will go. This will be talked about across the globe, and so it should be right. amazing. It's wonderful. Amazing. Wonderful. That's where we're going to leave off episode 90 of the Noise Podcast. We are so glad to be back with you, but we don't go anywhere yet because our interview with Will Putney is coming up right this second. Uh, we will be back in two weeks' time. We're going to look at the release schedule, see what we've got coming out. We're going to be hitting you again with two new album reviews. And I am scheduled tomorrow to interview Ash Gray from Venom Prison. So as long as that interview goes ahead, our next episode, this one includes Will Putney. Our next episode in two weeks will include Ash Gray, guitarist from Venom Prison. As usual, thank you so much for listening. You can follow me and Sam at Noise Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Subscribe to us on YouTube or like and follow, depending on whichever podcast service you're using. That is the best way to support us. Thank you for listening or watching. We will be back in two weeks' time. Don't go anywhere. This is our interview with Will Putney coming up right now. We'll see you in two weeks. We love you. So we are now joined by Will Putney, uh, the producer that me and Sam have without doubt spoke the most about since we started this podcast. Will, thank you so much for your time, man. This is a crazy honor. Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Excited to chat. Um, You're a man short on time, I've got no doubt. Uh, So Sam, I'll I'll let you start right away, mate. All right, well, it's just once again, I'll echo. Uh, Chris's ideas that you, it's just a pleasure to have you on so thank you so much I want to start with um, before getting into um, Fit for an Autopsy and, and stuff on your on your latest record upcoming I want to talk about the production stuff as well because you've, you're such a prolific um, producer as well as a musician as someone that's produced other bands as well as your own how do you adjust the approach about being in the band and writing songs for yourself and then you know helping the mix and the production value there or 
between that and being the producer where you're almost either taking direction or you're sort of having like an external involvement on the writing process, is it difficult to take a step back from a creative process that you know so well and are so familiar with? Um, I think they're just different. To me, they just fall into two different things, you know, with my, the way I work and stuff. With with Fit, it's more of, um, it's sort of like my creative outlet where, you know, I'm kind of just free to do whatever I want with the band. And it's, you know, it's more challenging for me from a, a musician standpoint to write and be creative and, and come up with things that I think are cool and exciting. But um, the production is pretty seamless because it's, it's all in my head. I'm just doing what I want. We get it there, you know, pretty pretty easy at this point you know on that side and then when you know when i'm working with another artist like i'm sort of looking at them from from the outside and seeing what their goals are what's special about that band what's going to make songs connect for them so like i'm working with 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 other bands as like as an outsider sort of trying to find the things that i think work and are successful and you know, uh, are, are the strongest traits for, for the given project. But with, with fit, it's like, I'm just kind of doing what I want. And I don't really have to think about that stuff. Um, so they're different, you know, and they both present their own challenges. A couple of years ago, I actually interviewed Pat on, uh, on the UK tour that fit oh, did cool. supporting uh, by artist murder and Carnifex. Um, and it was cool because we were talking about Sea of Tragic Beasts and specifically Napalm Dreams because he, he mentioned to me that it took a fair bit of convincing from yourself and other members in the band to really sell him on the idea of the song. And because this new record is probably, for me, your most outlandish release yet, did any such conversations have to take place this time? Or from the experience of Napalm Dreams, was Pat now like, no, I'm fully in on anything that could be what we I would consider experimental for us. Uh, yeah, I think he's pretty good now because I didn't hear any <laughs> slack this time for sure. You know, I think Napalm Dreams took a minute because we had a couple different actually had rewritten the the verses of that song a couple times. We had originally originally in that song we were thinking that we were gonna have somebody else do the bit, and then we decided no, let's not do guest vocalists like our first nuclear blast record let's just come out with us we, we kind of got off the idea of needing or wanting guest vocalists or performances for a while you know so um i was like okay well i had it written with the idea of somebody else and i did it with joe and it was like it didn't really do what i wanted it to so th there was like back and forth on that song a little bit i don't think anybody thought it was bad or anything i think we were just trying to find the way um a song like that could work well for us you know so i i wound up like rewriting the a good bit of it lyrically and then i think it, it all connected once once we did that you know um but yeah pat pat was like afraid of change for a while i think not for any reason then you know anytime a musician tries to expand it comes with like risks or mm. uh, you know like pressure to you know, stick a new, a new style, like as good as you were playing the older one and stuff. So I think, I think now we're all like, Oh, we're just going to do whatever we want. Like if we like it, we like it and not really worry about how, what other people think about it. I mean, I'm glad people like it, but I don't care if they do anymore. You know? That's awesome, man. Cause, cause when I heard the man that I was not, I was thinking, I wonder whether Pat loved this <laughs> off the bat, like, cause, cause of his concern with knife arm dreams, I was thinking, I wonder whether Pat, Loved, loved this song right off the bat. He did actually. Yeah, that's so awesome. No, 
yeah yeah i mean he it wasn't ever about like i don't like the song it was more about like i don't know if we can do this like okay. i don't know if this, you know yeah i completely i completely understand that as well i wanted to talk a little bit about the the latest album upcoming um this new album is the first fit for an autopsy album since 2019 of tragic breast which i did a little bit of maths which i'm not at but i'm trying to figure it out which broke for the first time a pattern of two years pretty much exactly since between each record from the process of human extermination right up until tragic beasts was is this a is there a pandemic reason why there was a lengthier amount of time between the last record and this one was this more challenging for any particular reason or am i just um creating an, an issue where there isn't one um no i mean we we did the only reason it didn't come out earlier is because we we honestly just wanted to wait till we could tour again you know we we mm-hmm. had this we had this done this was done last year you know um and then we had a plan to put it out and do some touring. And then those tours got canceled. And then this tour moved and that one moved. I think in 2020, we canceled like six tours. And then all of 2021 was like a big maybe. And um, It took a minute to be like, all right, it's safe to like put, put a plan in place now. Because the band, like, I don't think we'll ever put out a full length and not play a show on it. You know, like we, we had a taste of that with the Sea Attraction Beast. We only got to do one U.S. tour. And one European tour, and that was it, you know, so that for for a lot of people uh, in other territories in the world and stuff, they've never even seen us play that record, you know. So we knew, like, we can't do that again and be, like, albums and albums back where we was, like, never had a chance to give people a show with these songs, you know. So we were like, yeah, there's no way we're putting this out until we can tour again, you know. And and now, luckily, you know, the guys are out on a having a great time on, on a tour right now that's killing it. And, uh, you know, part of that is probably because we were patient and held the record for that. That's interesting. So how does that, um, just to follow up on that, how does that affect the, the set list? You say you want, you want to tour off the record. Does that imply that when you see each touring cycle, almost like a mini era in itself, where it's, this is the main album from this tour cycle, this is the set list has to reflect that. Major- a lot of new songs is sort of invested in that. How does that, affect your view of the set list and, and appealing to that audience for that particular tour cycle for you guys? I mean, we, we always, I mean, we have our own opinions like of what songs we should play and what, and what songs individual guys like to play in the band or don't want to play. But like at the end of the day, I think fit tries to build a, a live set list with like, what do people want to hear from us right now? You know, like what, are, what are kids talking about? What are people interested in coming to see? Like what's going to make people want to go see us, you know? And that usually revolves around new music when you just release a record and you're picking up new fans and, you know, there's excitement around new material. So it's like we obviously when we're releasing an album, of course, we're going to play new songs off of it and try to work that into our set. And then we kind of see what sticks around, you know, over the years, there's been live songs for us where it's like, oh, that wasn't necessarily what we ever thought was going to be the big song off that record, but it's like, oh, this song's working great. A lot of people enjoy it, so that one sticks around, you know, and and we, we, we experiment with switching up songs in our set and things like that, but generally, like, we just try to give people what they're, what they want to hear from us when it comes to a live show, you know? And if I've done my uh, research correctly, Will, this is one of the few, if not the only, fit for an autopsy record that has been recorded in different time frames, uh, specifically for Joe's vocals, like in multiple sessions. Yeah, we, uh, uh, this, I mean, we had time. That was the yeah. difference. You know, like we, uh, we knew we were going to have this like 
way, way wide window uh, before we would have to get the record in and things like that. And uh, we, uh, and we, there were no tours, like kind of bookending a recording session or anything like that. So I was like, well, I would rather work on the music, have it kind of get some of that in the bag and then be able to sit on it, write lyrics. We were able to take more time and split stuff up. Joe didn't have to like sit around for weeks while we were working on other things and stuff. So it was like, it was just easier to, to break it up into a couple of sessions this time. Were there any moments that were captured that you thought, wow, we literally wouldn't have captured this moment if it was 2017 and we recorded in the normal fashion or any that you can remember? Obviously, you, rec- you produce a lot of records, uh, but is there any, any moment you remember thinking, wow, this would not have happened if we were doing this in 2019 because we wouldn't have done this extra session? Um, I think I'm not sure. I, I think I definitely didn't really settle for anything. Not that I maybe would have in the past, but I did get to like have a second go at some of the stuff or like think about lyrics or not just commit to a part right away. If I was like, maybe this could be better and sit on it. So that probably yielded different results. You know, I don't know if the first ones were worse. Like I I just, it did let the record change, you know, having a little more time. Um, which probably wasn't a bad thing. I mean, I don't think it was a bad thing because obviously all the decisions I made, I think were for the better, you know, but yeah, sure. Like being able to reflect on something a little longer can be good, could be bad too, I guess. I know, you know, unbands for sure. I know it's, there's a point of diminishing returns where it's like, okay, now you're just assessing, you might actually be doing damage to the music, but I don't think we got there or anything. So yeah, nothing specific where I was like, wow, this never would have happened. I think it was just more like um, the time was a benefit to just improve tiny details and strengthen the songs. Awesome. Um, on that, I want to stay on the album while we're, while we're sort of talking about it. Um, we, me and Chris both really, really like it, really, really love it at the moment. It's really terrific. Um, but listening to it, it features not just classic sort of deathcore tropes that you kind of expect to, to hear from, from Fit for an Orpus, but there are moments where you stretch beyond that, you know, there's moments of real atmosphere, there's melodic sections, that are, there's, there's riffs on this that completely remind me of different bands in different worlds entirely. Um, the opening of Far From Heaven, we and Chris are talking about Gajira, when we see he's listening to that introductory riff about the, the way that, it, that the riff sort of slides across the guitar. How natural were those shifts during the writing process? Or was it a deliberately conscious focus to go a bit further <clears throat> than maybe you had done previously? Or was it just a natural, a natural process and one follows the other and then you're in this room now writing wise um while you were producing the record or was it like you went in with like a vision for how this record would sound um i definitely have like themes when i want to start a record i don't i like it's like okay i know i want to try to i'll just get inspired from time to time and be like oh i want to i want to try to write a song that feels like this or like i want a mood that's like this but i don't really until I like actually, I, those don't always make the cut. Cause if I can't get a song there where I feel like I'm doing what I want, I'll just try something else, you know? So I definitely wrote more songs this time around than I probably had in the past. So there was a lot of stuff that I was like, initially like, Oh, I think we're going to do something like this. It's going to be cool. That it wound up just not happening on this album. So it's more like through the writing process that natural pro- progression of how things go is like when I can start to see things coming together, but it's not very calculated beforehand, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like your workload and the amount of different projects that you take part in, 
I kind of consider you to be like the Max Cavalera of like hardcore deathcore, just constantly flooding with something new. You're either writing, mixing, producing, touring, etc. Has the amount that you're constantly exposed to music ever forced you to need to take a step away for a while? Because I'm going to be honest, Will, I mentioned this to you before we came on air. Over the last four years, most of mine and Sam's favourite albums have been produced by you. And me and Sam are always joking about like one day Will Putney will have a day off. Um, has, has there been a moment like for yourself where you've felt like you've been forced to take a step away from music for just to give yourself a break for once? Uh, it's never been that bad, you know, like it gets overwhelming at times, but it passes, you know, I, I don't think I've, I haven't hit that point where I'm like, I got to stop doing this for a while you know it, it, it's been a while it's been a long time like maybe in like 2016 there was like a bit of a scheduling mishap with um some stuff getting like like almost double booked unintentionally i hit this like really really crazy stretch where i was like all right this is too much you know and then we we kind of changed up our workflow a little after that and stuff um but not really, you know, I do want a day off, but it's not, like, it's not like I need one yet, I guess, you know? And like, honestly, like the downtime of COVID, like we, we did have, we had a ton of work over the pandemic because it's what everybody did. They just made records and stuff, but it was like, it was a lot of mixing. Cause I couldn't, bands were recording at home or remotely, or there were several projects where I was slated to kind of produce that I wound up just mixing the records because international bands and things like that, we just couldn't hook up, you know? So it created these like little pockets of downtime. It, 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 mixing in a way is, is a bit of a break. Cause you, even though I'm working, I'm on my own schedule. It doesn't feel like I'm being dragged through a process or anything like that. So I find like ways within the work to make it relaxing enough where I'm not fully burnt out. You know, <clears throat> just before um, Sam comes in with the question, just something you said that kind of sparked something in my, in my brain there. You take such an active role when you're a producer. Like, I don't think I've ever read an interview or spoken to a band that have said, Oh, we'll just kind of sat there. Well, let us make our decisions and we played the music and, and we'll capture it. You will, you're always such an active, you're like the, the fifth or the sixth proverbial member when you are producing. Does, is there ever a moment where you've been like, it, I wish the band came to me with the music fully finished? Because again, you were taking that extra step. You are the fifth or sixth member. Yeah, I mean, the better the starting point is, the easier my job is, for yeah. sure. You know, like, I definitely, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of why I try to work with specific bands, because I think they're just great bands. And it's like, well, this is just going to be fun then and not like this crazy uphill battle, you know. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely I mean, I've definitely had records when they started where I was like, God damn it, this is going to be so much work to get it right. You know, um, for, for various reasons, you know, whether it's like the players aren't there or the songs aren't there, but it's definitely, um, I mean, the better it is to start, obviously I, I would greatly prefer to <laughs> yeah. walk in the room and be like, this is awesome. We're done. Great. I'm going to go get one, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, it's it's never going to be one thing so i've just i've just like come to terms that like sometimes it's going to suck and sometimes it's going to be easy you know so it's like part of it is uh you know i think working through some stuff that needs a lot of help sometimes helps keep your brain fresh anyway you know because i don't want to be the guy that just sits there and hits record 
no matter how cool the band is or how yeah. how good the are so it's like i don't mind doing it i wouldn't want to do it every day of my life you know like w- w- walk into bad records for lack of a better word but you know it's part of it that's that's it's why you know it's why people are interested in working with me too i think because you know i the there's sort of a trust that like i'm not gonna let you make garbage you know awesome yeah i fully believe that yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Pew's just set me perfectly up for this next question. I did a little bit of um, internet research because there is a Wikipedia page called Albums Produced by Will Putney, and uh, it's about Lord of the Rings length. Um, I don't know if you knew this, <laughs> but there are 62, not including Fit for an Autopsy's new one, there are 62 albums on there, Will. 62. I don't think I've listened to 62 albums in the last two years. Um, no, there's, but, there's, there's more than that, for sure. Somebody's got to update that. <laughs> there's, there's, there's 62 that Wikipedia know about. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's other ones other ones lying out there in the ether um but what i wanted to talk about obviously chris has just sort of asked you you sort of hinted at the idea that you love it when you go in and the writing process is really really great and you want to be involved and i wanted to ask you of of those 62 or even 92 or 162 which is probably more likely albums that you've been involved with is there a writing process that stands out as particularly memorable to you is there is there a writing experience that you look back on almost and i assume that you're very much in the present and forward thinking onto the next project but um is there is there a, is there a writing process or a band or an album that you can't look back on and think that was an incredible experience more so than, than some of the others yeah i don't know if there's like a particular one but i do you know when i can do uh live pre-production with bands i do have a lot of fun with that you know but, uh, the, nowadays like bands were some you know a lot of bands right in the computer they have their laptop they they make their demos kind of in the box and it doesn't uh necessarily ever get broken out into like the full band jam or rehearsal there's a so and then when we get to pre-production sometimes bands aren't even ready to do that yet because it's like one or two guys that write the music it's all living in a laptop they haven't rehearsed together as a band you know it's sort of the sort of the way of the world in some of these scenes now where um you know that that we're working in a computer at the beginning of the record you know and um then there are other bands where they write as a whole band they're in a room together all the time and and uh, all the changes they were they're all kind of up to speed on what's going on and they can play all the songs right off the floor and those pre-production sessions are are usually more fun for me and it's cool because it adds like there's a lot of other stuff you can do You're, you're more aware of how this really translates on playback and um you know, I've, I've been able to do that with, with a lot of bands, but like counterparts and knock loose. And every time I die vain, like, um, when I get to be in the room with the whole band and, and, and hear how it's really gonna, ha- how it's really gonna sound from like a live perspective and stuff, it, it, it kind of sparks more ideas and it just feels more fun to me. Um, so any of those are probably like more of the highlight ones for me. I, I got into I got into for an autopsy around the absolute hope absolute hell era uh, around 2015 um, and the progression the band has made since then is, is really really cool to see like from the fan perspective and I think that oh what the future holds like is pound for pound the best record the band has made and you've never made a record that I haven't liked but I think oh what the future holds is really really great and um, for yourself because your position in the band is quite unique compared to other acts around deathcore, hardcore, etc. 
because of the importance you that is rested on your shoulders in bringing the artistic vision to life, not just in terms of the writing, but in terms of the genuine creation of the record, do you almost take possibly more pride in what Fitful and Autopsy have sonically achieved than you would have if you were a 24-7 member and someone else was producing, if that makes sense? Um, I don't, I think it would be the same, you know, I think, uh, I'm doing something with the band every day, you know, cause we're, we're like, I, I handle a lot of the business side of it and stuff. And I'm like a part of all the processes and things that go into it aside from being on stage. So I, I don't feel disconnected in any way to it anymore, you know? Um, but I think, you know, I would feel the same way because if people react to the music I write positively, to me, it's like the same emotion. You know, obviously I'm not on stage to, to perform. So I feel like I miss out on some of that sort of reward for being in a band, you know, but because um, that I do love playing live shows. It's just not a thing that I could do full time and and record full time. You know, so I if I was out there, I'd probably be enjoying all the success that the record receives more, you know, I guess in in that sense. But um, I'm just happy that people like the stuff we write and, you know, the message behind the band and stuff. So it's like as long as that happens, I'm good either way. You know, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like fit for an autopsy, but also the sort of extreme metal scene in general, because me and Chris have been talking about it's really about 18 months. It feels like we're going through quite quite an exciting time for extreme metal in general quite a purple patch of great records across just just i was making a, as part of this question i was just like thinking how many bands have we reviewed over the last few months that have just have great albums last 18 months you know from shadow of intent lorna shaw's ep sort of reveal cognitive desire pupil slicer knock loose die art and then you've got older bands like making triumphant returns like we reviewed at the gates which is really good cannibal corpse carcass etc you're probably best position to answer this question given your resume given your production and your your, your your prolific nature of your work do you agree first and foremost that it feels like a special time at the moment for extreme metal and if so do you think there's a particular reason why the music appears to be just be so so good happening so often and just this just mass of great bands seemingly every few months um i think stuff that always comes in waves you know i think obviously bands having two years off probably turned up a lot of really cool records, you know, um, I'd imagine we're about to get a lot of great music this year, you know, because what the hell is everybody last year, you know, everyone's probably <laughs> yeah. music recording records and stuff. So like, yeah, it's going to be like this nice little boom for, for extreme music where it's like, you know, all these, all these guys that normally would have been busier now probably just make cool records, you know? So I, I'd imagine we're going to see a lot of that stuff, but yeah, I mean, I think with any scene, like stuff will, a band will show up, they'll do something cool. A lot of bands will try to copy it. Stuff will get a little stale for a while. And then there's always something else that comes along that sort of resets it a little bit. And, uh, you know, with like the younger generation of extreme bands, there's definitely head turning bands now, you know, bands that are, switching it up a little things are getting more interesting again so i think we're on the way into like a pretty good year of music for sure dude uh we could talk to you all day uh but we wouldn't put you through that that, that trauma uh dude thank you so much for your time man this is the coolest thing um obviously a producer that we've looked up to for a long time and everything that you touch seems to be gold so uh, you didn't have to speak to us with your a crazy schedule but you took the time to and that's the coolest thing so thank you so much will no problem, guys. Will. I appreciate you having me on and thanks for checking out the record. And yeah, we'll talk soon.
Cheers, man. I'll speak to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Have a good one.